You are listening to Moments in the Word, brought to you by Lighthouse Gospel Ministries. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start there. We're going to go into a couple different places tonight. Exodus 20. But I have one point. That is rare for me. Normally I have 14 pages and 17 points, so it's great. Actually, the longest sermon notes I ever had was 14 pages. I did an overview of, of Hebrews all in one night. Remember that on a Wednesday night? That was, that was, a, was a lot of reading that night. Exodus 20, and we're going to talk about covetousness tonight. Covetousness. To covet is to, de- to, to desire something, okay? To desire to have something. Now, there is good coveting. Not all coveting is bad coveting. Um, let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. So he's saying covet spiritual gifts, right? Want spiritual gifts. Um, there are people, uh, my wife is the nicest person I know. Nothing makes her mad. She's never mad, right? I'm always mad about something. And then she's always telling me, is that really something you get mad about? Should you really be mad? Is that really that big a deal? Who cares, right? She's never, nobody offends her. No, and I covet that, right? I'm not that way. I covet her lack of anger, right? Lack of frustration. She's never frustrated. It amazes me. I covet, I want that, right? So there's good coveting. There, there are good things to covet, but that's not primarily what the Bible deals with. Because primarily, you and I, as fallen creatures, don't covet good things, right? We covet bad things. I have two kids who constantly covet the other kid's thing. You know, even if they didn't want it before, they want it now because they have it, right? That's how we're, we're all that way. As adults, it gets no different. We've got to fight against that, right? We want it because they have it. Look at what they have over there. That's nice. I didn't want that before, but now I want that, right? Because we're fallen creatures. We've got to watch out for covetousness. So I want to talk about not just covetousness, because not all covetousness is bad, but I want to talk about the sin of covetousness, okay? Um, I think that's a sin I can honestly say. That there's not a lot of sins you can preach on in church and say everyone in the room is guilty. <laughs> but covetousness is. At some point in our lives, we've all been covetous, wanting something that's not ours that we had no right to. And so it's kind of a universal sin. So look, let's look at our text real quick. Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So here in the law of God, we see the command is what? Not to covet, right? Not to covet. Coveting leads to a violation of other laws. Think about it, right? Think about that for a minute. Um, Theft, right? Thou shalt not steal, that's a command, right? But what leads to stealing? Coveting. Nobody steals stuff they don't want. People take things they're coveting, things they want that are not theirs, right? Uh, Adultery, covetousness, right? Adultery doesn't happen by mistake. Adultery happens when one spouse looks to another spouse, or one person looks to somebody's spouse and goes, hmm, I want that. That's when it happens. It's the open door. So when they've committed adultery, they've already been guilty of coveting, and they didn't get that under control. 
and it led to something else. Uh, murder, not every time, but a lot of times, murder is tied back to what? Coveting. Because people kill over possessions, right? They rob somebody, they shoot them, right? They, they kill them over wanting the to run off and take their, their wife or their husband, and so they kill, right? So murder, a lot of times, um, look at, look, we talk about murder, we're, we're talking about, we, talk, we think a lot right now about war, don't we? Because there's war going on around the world, right? Almost every war is what? Coveting. That's all it is. Another country has resources that this country wants, right? Or they want to control this country. Or there's something that they can gain from it. Most wars happen because somebody is coveting something, okay? Not to say there aren't righteous wars, but most of the time that's not the normative way of war, okay? So we're commanded not to covet or desire our neighbor's house, okay? Uh, I would take this to mean the structure, right? Uh, I'm to be content with my house. God gave me my house. I'm not to look at Brother George's house and go, man, I hate my house. I wish I had that house. That house is so much better. Yes, for them. God gave it to them. If it was better for me, God would have given it to me, right? Man, I wish I had the, I don't know about, I've never been to Miss Nunez's house, but I'm just, Poor, I love her built-in swimming pool. Oh, it's so beautiful. I had that stupid above-ground one. I wish I had that. Well, you know what? If, if it was good for me to have that, I'd have that. I don't have that, so God intends her to have that. If you do, I don't know. I'm just guessing again. The point being, the structure, right? But also the possessions. Everything inside my neighbor's house, I'm not to covet. And it gets specific, Right? We're told not to covet or desire our neighbor's wife. We're not to, I mean, that's lust, right? That's what that is. Do you know why there's a pornography problem in America? Because there's a coveting problem in America. People want something that's not theirs to have. That's what it, they put, that's why, we, that's why they're in the fantasy world, because they want that fantasy that's not their life. They're coveting. Okay, Paul says this in Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the, law, uh, is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You know why? Because when you're, when you're lusting after somebody, you're saying, I want them, and I don't have them. That's what you're saying. That's what it is. It's coveting. Okay? Then list a few more items, servants, animals, and in case there should be any loophole in our minds, okay, he said don't covet his wife, don't covet his, what, his, his, uh, where, where am I at here? Don't cover, covet his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his ass, but it doesn't say his goat. I can covet his goat, <laughs> right? The goat's not listed. So before you think, well, there's, maybe there's a loophole in there. He says, or anything that is thy neighbor's. That covers everything. So don't covet his house, the structure, the possessions, right? Don't covet his servants. Don't cover, covet his wife. Don't covet his donkeys or his cattle or anything that's your neighbor's. That covers everything. It's all inclusive, right? Don't look at what somebody else says and go, boy, I wish I had that, right? Because you're making a powerful statement of, hey, God is keeping from me something I should have. That's what you're saying. That's what, when we covet something, we're saying, God, I'm unhappy with what you've given to me. I want that instead. 
That's the problem. Covetousness is not only accepted in our society, but it's expected in our society. It's a celebrated sin. You're encouraged to desire all the worldly goods you can get and then work to attain those things, right? Treat yourself. You deserve this. Have this. Get this. Buy this. Our entire system of of, of marketing and capitalism is really centered around what? Coveting. Selling. You've got to have this. This is the latest thing. This is the latest trend. This is the latest clothes. This is the latest everything. Want, 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 want. Never be happy. Always upgrade, right? I mean, we're upgrading phones now every what? Supposed to be every like few months, I think. You qualify for upgrading a phone. I upgrade every six or seven years. But you know what? That's our society's geared towards wanting something you don't have. And uh-oh, somebody else has it. You better get it quick, or you're you're gonna be irrelevant to society. That's covetousness. Theft happens because of covetousness. Been a lot of carjackings in town lately. You know why? Covetousness. Looting happens because of covetousness. You watch on the news, you ever see looters breaking into stores, run out carrying televisions and clothes? You know what they are? They're covetous. That's what they are. That's what they are. Sometimes covetousness looks different than looting. Sometimes it looks like a guy who works 80 hours a week, spends all this time at work, workaholic. Why? So he can have the bigger house, the nicer car, the newer stuff. So his kids can have all the trappings and all the fun stuff. And all. We've got to work to maintain this life. We have no time for God because we have to work to have all this worldly stuff. George Mueller had a man in his church who worked 16 hours a day. And he came to me and said, you don't have time for your family. You're sinning. And he says, well, Pastor Mueller, I, I have to take care of my family. He says, work less, trust God, and he'll bless you to take care of your family. But he never intended you to never be with your family or to never be in church because you're working all the time. The man ended up cutting himself back to like 10 hours a day. And still, not only did he, did he provide for his family, but over time he got promotions and his actually his wealth increased and he increased the giving and stuff to the ministry. In other words, God took care of him. He said, you're coveting is what you're doing. See, you're justifying it as, well, I got to take care of my family. But Mueller's like, your family doesn't need all this stuff. You're coveting is what you're doing. So it can look very different. It can look like looting. It can look like stealing and robbing, or it can look like overworking. And in our society, we're okay with overworking, aren't we? We just call them workaholic. We have, we have names for it. No, it's covetousness. Okay? It's covetousness. Have you ever heard the term keeping up with the Joneses? <laughs> it's covetousness. Much of our entertainment industry is geared towards covetousness. They encourage you to want what the celebrities have. This is especially powerful in the lives of young people. Much of the sports world is the same way. That's why sports stars endorse things, because you're going to want what he has. You're going to drink what he drinks, right? Drink this flavor of Gatorade, and you'll be playing like Patrick Mahomes. No, you won't, right? But it's covetousness. And we, we mask it, and we, we, we excuse it, we make, make names for it. But when you get down to it, it's just good old-fashioned covetousness. Wanting, not being satisfied with what we have. Let's look at a few instances of coveting in the Bible. Go to Joshua chapter 7. 
Joshua chapter 7. This is the story of Achan. The children of Israel had been told not to take any spoils from war, and this man secretly kept for himself some of the spoils. Israel went into their next battle, which was the one they should easily have won, the battle of Ai, but they were defeated because God wasn't with them because of their sin. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of, of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, was, uh, the son of Zabdi, was, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now, what hast thou done? Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He coveted what wasn't his. Right? Now, the other battles, God told them to take up the spoils, right? But this battle, God said, no, you don't take up anything. And he admits it right there. He says, I coveted them. I wanted them. He wanted what God had said not to lay hands on. That's what, that's, that's what he did. That's covetousness. Because of his disobedience, he died. His family died. His wife died. His children died. His animals died. And 36 men died in the battle of Ai who didn't need to die. All because he was disobedient to God. Consider one of the most famous stories of covetousness in the Bible. David and a woman named Bathsheba. He saw her bathing on the rooftop and was even told, she's a married woman, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And did David go, oh, wow, never mind. <laughs> never mind. I got enough wives. No, no. In his heart, he wanted his neighbor's wife. What did that lead to? I think I mentioned here before, but I believe it led to rape of Bathsheba. I believe it, led, it definitely led to adultery, led to murder, led to lying and deception right? Sin upon sin upon sin. And you th we think the coveting, that's, that's a little sin. Just, that's not one of the big ones. But if left unchecked, it becomes one of the big ones. As in David's life, sin upon sin upon sin. Of course, you go back to any broken home in America where adultery was involved, what do you find? It was covetousness. It's not a little sin. It's not an innocent sin. Turn to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21, we have here the story of Naboth. King Ahab came to Naboth and offered to buy his vineyard. Naboth refused to give up the field he received by inheritance, so Ahab's wicked wife Jezebel put into action a plan to obtain the coveted field. 1 Kings 21. This is not something I say usually 15 minutes into a sermon, but we're almost done. 1 Kings 21, look at verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, this is Jezebel, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling in Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of the city, even the elders and nobles, who were the inhabitants of the city, 
did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people, and there came uh, in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him, and the men of Belial witness against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones, and he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Covetousness. He wanted a field he had no right to. He offered to buy it. But Naboth had every right to say no. That wasn't enough for Ahab and Jezebel, was it? And it led to his murder. Why? Because they wanted something that wasn't theirs. They wanted something that wasn't theirs. How about the case of Christ himself? Covetousness. The Pharisees knew who Jesus was, okay? I, I say this a lot because I grew up hearing things like, oh, the Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They knew who Jesus was, okay? They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Son of God. I can prove that to you. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles thou doest except God be with him. So here is, he comes to Jesus by night under cover of darkness, right? So the people don't see him coming. But he's coming as a representative of the Pharisees to Jesus. And what does he tell Jesus? We don't believe in you. You're a trickster. No, he's like, we know you're a teacher come from God. <laughs> no one can do what you do except God be with him. And we see in places like Jesus has it in John, but also the book of Acts, right? It was the miracles of Jesus that confirmed his Messiahship, right? It was the works that he did. So they're recognizing the works. They're saying, we know you're come from God. So don't believe that they didn't believe, right? They believed in Jesus, not on Jesus. There's a big difference there, right? The devils believe and tremble, right? The devils believe Jesus is the Son of God. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know he died on the cross for sinners, but they're still not saved, okay? So the Pharisees believed who Jesus was. Now, go to Matthew 21. Having established that, Matthew 21. And we're going to look at verse 33. Here another parable. This is Jesus speaking. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed the other and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? They say unto him, He will do miserably destroy the he will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which will render him the fruits in their season. So the parable is clear, right? The husbandman is, is God the Father. The field, the vineyard, right, is the kingdom of God. It was let out, to, it was, it was let out to, or the owner of the vineyard is God the Father. So the husbandmen are, the, are the, the Jewish leadership, right? 
That's, that's who we're picturing here. And the, the servants that are killed, and that, that's the prophets who they killed, right? Then they saw the son, and they said, ooh, there's the son. So they cast him out of the vineyard, right? Christ was crucified outside the city. So they cast him out, and they killed him. And they said, well, what's he going to do to those husbandmen? Well, he's going to miserably destroy their city, right? So as a result of crucifying Jesus, what happened 40 years later? The Roman armies came, and they, did, they destroyed Jerusalem, 70 AD, right? That was a direct result of the crucifixion of Jesus. They said, we have no king but Caesar, and Caesar came and burned down their city. They said, his blood be on us and on our children, and it was, literally, okay? So verse 45, we see again that the Pharisees knew he was speaking about them. Look at verse 45. When the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. So they knew, and they understood that he was speaking about them. This further backs up the idea they knew exactly who Jesus was. Notice the motivation then of the Pharisees' anger towards Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't believe, but that they were covetous of his position. Look at verse 38 again. But when the husbandmen, now the Pharisees, they know that they are the husbandmen in this, in this story. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and seize on his inheritance. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. It's not that they didn't believe. It's that they wanted his position. They wanted the honor that came with being him. They wanted the glory. They wanted the praise. They wanted the riches of the, of the people of Israel. They were covetous. That's why they rejected Jesus. So why was Jesus crucified? It wasn't unbelief. It was covetousness. Think about that when you think to yourself, covetous, that's a small sin. It's, it's okay that I'm a little covetous. Yeah, I kind of want what other people have. That's okay, right? It's not a, it's not, it, it, it's, a, it's a sin that doesn't hurt anybody. Think about Jesus for a minute. Think about Naboth for a minute. Think about Achan for a minute. Think about Adam and Eve for a minute. What was the plunge humanity to sin? Right? Adam took from his wife. His wife took from the serpent. When the serpent came to the woman, what did he say? You eat this, you're going to be like God. Well, I want to be like God. That's amazing. I mean, we're just like his created beings right now, but he's up here. We can be like with him, like, like literally we can be just like she coveted something that was not hers to attain. She wanted to be like God. Adam wasn't deceived, we know that. He took willingly of the fruit and he ate. But he was covetous too. The minute she ate of that fruit, she made herself an enemy of God. But Adam wanted her. At that moment, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. He probably should have put her to death. But he was covetous. He wanted something he shouldn't have. And because of that, he plunged all of humanity into sin. Think about that. It's not an innocent sin. The Bible has more to say about covetous. Listen to Ephesians 5.5. 5. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If you are a covetous person and you take peace in your heart going, well, yeah, I'm covetous, but I'm already a Christian, so it's okay. It's probably a sign that you're not a Christian. Because no covetous person, 
Now, we're all going to covet from time. We're all going to sin and fall from time to time. But I'm saying nobody who lives their life in a covetous way has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So the Bible says, Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So when we are covetous, what is it doing? It's flowing from an evil heart. And by the way, Jesus lists it in a list with what? Uh, Deceit, lying, blasphemy, pride, fornication, murder, adultery. I don't think Jesus thought it was an innocent sin to have. Luke 12, 15, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Everything that you and I could ever attain is left behind when we die. What is the point of covetousness? Jesus says, beware of it. Beware. Because first of all, it'll ruin you spiritually. It, it, It leads to other sins, as I've said before. It leads to sin upon sin upon sin. But if you waste your whole life covetously chasing after the things of this world and you die, everything you've attained, you leave behind. It's the most empty sin you can commit. So why is covetousness wrong? Why does God so strongly condemn this sin? That was all introduction. Here's my one point. Go to Colossians 3.5. Colossians 3.5. Why is the Bible so strongly against covetousness? And here's the answer. Covetousness is idolatry. Colossians 3.5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. When we covet something that God has not given us, we make that our God. Right? Instead of serving him, we're working to serve that thing that we want to attain. That life that we want to have. That house we want to live in. Those clothes that we want to buy. That woman or man that we want to run off with. That becomes our God. We're no longer serving God. We're serving ourselves. We're serving our lust. We've replaced God in our mind with ourselves. Our wants, our desires become preeminent to us. We're no longer his servants. Covetousness is idolatry. Our God is a jealous God, a God fully deserving our worship. He demands loyalty and fidelity. To possess Christ is to possess all things. Therefore, to, declare, to, 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 to covet anything in this world is to declare that what Christ has given us is not enough. It is a statement that says that what God has given us in Christ is not enough. This harkens back to the first commandment, not to have any other gods before the one true God. To covet what we don't have is unthankfulness. Our goal in existing, ready for this, is to enjoy God. Not to enjoy things, to enjoy God. And we enjoy God by enjoying the things that he provides for us. And when we step out of that and demand more things, we're no longer enjoying God, we're becoming God. We are the gift giver to ourselves. If we live to acquire 
our every desire, then we are living for our enjoyment and our glory. Let me challenge you tonight to take this issue of covetousness seriously. God takes it seriously. In every list I read to you where he lists sins and includes covetousness, idolatry, blasphemy, uh, fornication, murder, they're all included in there. He includes it with the worst sins. I encourage you tonight to see covetousness for what it is, idolatry. If we're crucified to the world, then we are dead to our desires. As Christians, we're to be crucified to this world, the Bible says. That means we're dead to our worldly desires. A dead man doesn't desire anything. I used to work in a hospital where we, where we handled the morgue. So we had to put bodies in. We had to take bodies. I think you did some of that too, didn't you? We put bodies in. We had to take bodies out. We had to open the body bags, make sure they didn't have any belongings, any jewelry. And one thing I, I'll tell you about dead bodies is they don't, they don't ask for anything. Now, you have to do everything for them, right? I couldn't say, can you scoot over a little bit? I had to scoot them over. Can you get off there and move to the lower shelf? No, I had to move them to the lower shelf. Let me see your hands so I can check for a ring. No, I have, I have to get your hand to check for a ring, right? They could do nothing for themselves. They never asked me for anything because they had no desire. They were dead. As Christians, we're to be dead to this world. That means we don't do anything for ourselves. God does things for us. God provides for us. We look to him for a new car. We look to him for a job, for parts to come, right? We look to him for this because he's our provider. We don't make it happen ourselves. We wait. If he says to wait, then we wait. And when he gives it, we enjoy it. But we don't turn and go, oh, never mind. He's not doing it. I'm going I'm I'm to step in and do it myself. Let me tell you. We're all going to achieve one day, if we're saved, what Eve wanted to achieve. When Christ comes, we're going to be like him, the Bible says, for we're going to see him as he is. What does she want to be? Like God, knowing good and evil. So we're going to, we're, we're going to attain that which Eve was seeking, but she was seeking it out of place. God has said, no, not at this time. You can't do it. And she did it anyways, right? If we're dead... We don't give in to our desire. We don't live for it. We don't ask. We don't seek things in this world. We simply let God provide our needs. Paul said he was crucified with Christ and yet alive. But it was alive through Christ. It was no longer Paul, but Christ living through Paul. So Paul wasn't living out Paul's desires. He was living out Christ's desires. Check your hearts tonight. Are we thankful for what God has given us? Are we putting anything else before God? We need to put to death covetousness. Because if we don't actively try to put it to death, we're going to fall into it. And we're going to make excuses for it. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life. I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's no room in there for covetousness. There's no room in there for wanting something that God has not given us. There's no need to be covetous. There's no need to be covetous. All things are Christ's and Christ is ours. So through Christ, all things are ours. We have only to ask. 
in Christ, we already possess all things. But the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And then you ask and receive not. Why? Because you want to consume it upon your own lust. In other words, you're covetous. We ask God to provide for our needs, and he does. Right? Uh, we, we were going to buy, after our accident, we were going to buy a car. And we found a very nice Prius here in town we were going to buy. Much newer than our old one. We felt so uncomfortable with that car. Like, oh, this is the best car we can find for the money, but we don't like this car that much. It was this unsettling feeling. And so on the day we were supposed to go pick it up and buy it, I sat down, I prayed, I said, Lord, if, if this is your will that we get the car, then we'll get the car. Help us to be happy with that car, because we're not right now. But man, we'd love a car like our old one. If you could provide one like our old one, we'd be grateful. A few minutes after praying, I, I, I get on the car company website we bought it from, CarMax, and I, I just slide up one time, and it lands on a blue Prius that looked just like our old car, identical, for the same, no, $1,000 more than the one we're going to buy here in town, our price range, with the exact same mileage as the one here in town. I said, maybe God's answered that prayer. So we drove down to Los Angeles to look at it. And the minute we sat in that car, we were like, yes, this is the car. that We, we felt completely comfortable. I have no doubt God answered that prayer. No doubt. And we bought our house, right? We made offers on like five houses. None of them we liked. <laughs> we didn't feel comfortable. With it. And they were all nice houses. Just we didn't feel comfortable with it. Then we find this house, which didn't have half of the things we wanted in the house. And we put an offer on it. They go, oh, let's just put an offer and see what happens. And they accepted the offer. And then two years later, my mom comes to live with us. And it's the perfect house to take care of her. We didn't know we were going to take care of her. Right? But God knew that. And then once we got the house, even though it didn't have all the amenities we were looking for, we were actually happy. We're like, wow, I actually like this. This is really, I didn't think I liked this house. This is really great. You know, why? Because God put the joy in our hearts. So who am I now to look and go, oh, well, now we need, to go, we need to go find a better house. If God wants me to, he'll give me a better house. Right? He'll open the door. What I'm trying to say is, let's not be covetous. Let's enjoy the blessings that God gives us. Be happy with that because we received it from his hand. Find our joy in just Christ himself and the blessings he gives us. And don't go seeking things outside of that. Because the time may come when God wants me to move to a different house. He may not. But it may come then. But right now is not that time. So why, am I, why would I go out looking for a house? Why? I'd be stepping outside of what God has provided. I said all that to say, you say, well, I've asked for this and God didn't give it to me. Well, God gave me the Prius I asked for. But I promise you, if I had asked for a Jaguar, he wouldn't have given it to me. You know why? Because I, just, I wanted to consume it upon my own lust. I'd look pretty good in a Jaguar, wouldn't I? Actually, I don't like Jaguar. I like Lincolns. That's my, that's my luxury car. I told my wife, if I ever bought a luxury car, I'd buy a Lincoln. But you know what? That's for my own pride. He's not gonna, I, I didn't even pray for a sports car or a luxury car. You know why? Because I didn't need one. I drive a lot. I preach a lot. I needed a Prius. 
Maybe, maybe God's saying no to us because we're trying to get something just because we want it, not because it's what we need to have. That's fine. Hey, if God says no to a prayer request that we pray, we need to be okay with that. We need to learn to be comfortable with no from God. And don't go, oh, I didn't get it. I guess God's not real or God's not listening or I have to go out and seek it myself. No. He may say yes. He may say no. Be thankful for yes. Be thankful for no. Anything else is covetousness. If we ask for his glory, to use it in his service. Paul said in Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What a great and precious promise. Folks, tonight, let's not be covetous. Let's search our hearts. If that's in our hearts, let's get it out. Listen, God is, that's no coincidence that we sang that song that you guys, all three had those prayer requests. That song, God is listening. God is, okay, rest in what God is doing, but don't be covetous. You know why people leave and run to another church? Because they're covetous. Oh, they, they got something better over there. You know why they leave? A lot of people are leaving California. You know why? Because they're covetous. I don't know anybody who left California and said, I can go serve God and win more people to Christ over here. There's more of a need over here. Everyone I know who's in California is leaving so they can have cheaper gas, bigger property, bigger house, more spending money. I'm not trying to condemn. I'm just trying to say, is that what God's called us to? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't worry about a nicer car or a bigger house. Don't worry about what somebody else has. Who cares? God gave it to them. Rejoice for them. God gave to you. Rejoice for yourself. Enjoy what God has given us. Anything else is idolatry. And we're not to be idolatrous people. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word. Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org. All donations are tax deductible. We hope you were blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.